Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. Okay, so I'm Allegra, and I don't know if you know this, Misty, but I used to review resumes as a job. I was a recruitment researcher. I didn't so, even know that was a job. Well, I worked for a recruitment company, and we found oh, like a headhunter? Sort of, yeah. And so um, we did a lot of finding people already in that job at a competitor and screening resumes. Um, and I can tell you the most hideous thing I've ever seen on a resume was somebody made a border. You know, sometimes people put borders on their resume. Yeah, they get fancy. That's fine. This person made a border out of wingdings. Oh, no. You know, like the font that's just like little pictures? Was the writing in Comic Sans? No, but there was clip art also involved in that resume. And luckily it wasn't for a graphic designer job because that would have been... That's extremely, a hard no. Extremely tragic. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I Yeah, I had a, that job. I used to get to throw people's resumes in the trash. I could see how that'd be validating for you. It was very dramatic and exciting. Yes. So I'm Misty, and I want to tell you about my worst ever job interview moment where I was the candidate. I, I would imagine that you have a lot of these. Oh, I do. Yeah. History people are very weird. And so having sure, a whole bunch just, of them in a room together, just disasters happen. Three people. Okay. So I was told in an interview, giving a job talk, like you have to teach, right? So give us a 20 minute teaching demonstration. And they said, treat us like students. So one of the professors pulled out his phone during my lecture. Yeah. And I told him to put it away or I would take it. <laughs> Apparently that wasn't a test because I thought it was a test. Yeah. He yeah. just... Checked his phone to see if his kids were uh, calling him. Okay. So mm-hmm. did you get that job? Or? I did not. You did not. But I heard the same professor fell asleep in somebody else's interview. So, so at least he didn't fall asleep. It wasn't you. No. It wasn't you. Okay. I no. also think I remember that you interviewed for a job while giving birth. Yes. Um, I was in labor when they called me for the interview and I didn't want to reschedule because I knew that they would give the job away. So you were having a baby... And I did a phone interview. Yes. Wow. Didn't get that one either. That's okay. <laughs> they were like, there was odd noises in the background. We're not really well, no, sure. The, what, the guy that called me, because he like knows me personally, he's like, hey, are you out jogging? I'm like, I am 10 months pregnant because my daughter was late. I'm not jogging anywhere. <laughs> are you out jogging? <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah, I'm jogging. So we are going to talk today about women in the workforce, and I feel like we need to warn you that some of what you'll hear today will uh, make you pretty mad, but we will do our best to add some levity, and we do have some good news at the end. Sort of. (laughs) Thanks, Misty. I was trying to get prevent people from rage turning us off. <laughs> I'm going to correct one thing you said, though. Okay. You said we're talking about women in the workforce. We're talking about women getting into the workforce. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Because we've so, talked a lot about women when they're already there. Yes. And a- we know that's terrible. Yes. Applying for and getting a job. Yes. Mm-hmm. Entering uh, the workforce for the first time. So do we want to just start with talking about what the American workforce looks like in general? Yeah. And so like most things in America, the workforce is gendered and has lots of traces of sexism, patriarchy, and racism all over the place. Um, Women, as we've said many times before, uh, account for more than half of college degrees. 
So more than half of the degrees, both undergraduate and graduate being earned in the country, are going to women, Mm -hmm. which means women are well-educated and on average, I guess, better educated than men. But women still, of course, are earning less money on average than men, about 78 cents on the dollar, um, not accounting for race, ethnicity, and age. And, of course, the older you are um, and whether you're a person of color, that average is going to go down. Yeah, when you account for those things, it doesn't make it better. Yeah, no. So when we talk about earning less, of course, we are making the assumption that a woman has the job in the first place. Right. So not only do women get lower pay, which is something I think everyone is familiar with, but you have lower odds of getting a job offer in the first place and lower odds of being internally promoted once you're in a job. Right. So fostering gender diversity in the workplace isn't just like something nice we can do for the ladies. It's, it's obviously see culture thing. Right. It's obviously something that makes the business or the workplace better. Right. Women have good ideas, diversity of opinion and outlook and background and perspective. All of those things have been proven time and time again to make a business more, more profitable, more competitive. And if the workplace isn't a business, if it's a nonprofit or a hospital or a college, the same thing is true. Right. Diversity of perspectives in the rooms where people make decisions is better for the institution. Another way in which we have a gendered workforce. Yeah. And when I was reading these studies, it kind of took me by surprise, I guess, because this isn't my experience. About one third of Americans work in workplaces that are 80 percent one gender or the other. So like in our workspace, I would say that we're pretty even male, female. Sure. Um, I was trying to kind of tell you in my head. I think it's about even. Uh, But a third of Americans go to a workplace that is mostly men or mostly Mostly women. women. Yeah. And I think that you've had this workplace before because you taught in high school. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's mostly women. I mean, it's more women than men. It's not mostly women. It's more women than men. But that divide is exacerbated depending on the subject area. Oh, really? So we had one male English teacher. Otherwise, it was all females. Oh, but you had like male science teachers? But we had lots of Mm. male science teachers. And but coaches. And all, you know, the only female coaches we had were for volleyball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of that gendered workplace Mm -hmm. is that there are assumptions people make about the job that correlate with genders. So like in a male-dominated job, we think, oh, you need these masculine traits to do well here. Yeah. And the example for females would be nursing or teaching. That requires nurturing. Mm -hmm. That requires care. Mm -hmm. Oh, women are good at those things. And therefore, more, and more importantly, men are not good at those. Right. Things. And yeah. therefore, women should be teachers. Right. Is the assumption. Yes. The other assumption. I'm not saying I believe that. <laughs> no. The other assumption is, I mean, we talked about this before, I think, with flight attendants is a lot of men who might have an interest in that job because of what you get to do or the skills that you might need might be dissuaded from pursuing that career field because it's for girls. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, some other research I found here talked about how. There is significant discrimination against men in women-dominated areas and against women in men-dominated areas. Yeah. So the discrimination is against both. However, so a study by the Science for Work found different findings. They found that there is discrimination against women in male-dominated fields. But in female-dominated fields, like um, journalist or nurse, or in integrated jobs or saturated jobs, 
there was no discrimination against men. So if we're talking about a job like a firefighter, there is discrimination against women. Right. In the workplace? In getting into in the, getting in, into in the in workplace. Applying and hiring. But there is no bias against men applying for a female-dominated job like a nurse. Right. And there's no bias against men for jobs that we went consider integrated. And integrated means could be either one. Okay. So it's a fair balance. There's some kind of parity and gender balance in people who have that job. If between 35 to 65% of the job was one or the other gender, then it would okay. be integrated or saturated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, bias is worse at executive level. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. According to the Fortune 500, there are only 32 female CEOs as of 2017. So I know that's getting a little bit dated. Yeah. But that was the last one I could pull up. And recently, like just in the last month, all companies in the S&P 500 had at least one female board member. Just in the last month. And we know that more female board members will eventually mean. But I said had at least one. Right. You know what I mean? Like, But that's progress. <laughs> It is, and it's good news, but also that's it's like almost twenty twenty. Really pretty crummy progress. <laughs> yes. If the last S and P five hundred company was like, fine, let's let one lady join the board of directors, just so we don't look terrible. Basically, yeah. So um, the other thing that this research was looking at was what are the biases against women? So before we even talk about field, before we talk about specific jobs or getting yeah. a job or applying or whatever, why is there bias against women? So one of the first things they said was that there's... Is it the floating uterus again? You know what? You're not that far off. Okay, good. Because there's an assumption about either parental or familiar responsibilities or the likelihood those would occur. So if I hire a woman in her 30s or 40s, I probably think, oh, she's got kids. She's going to call in sick sometimes to take care of her kids. If I hire a woman who's in her 20s, well, she's going to want to have a kid sometime. Then she's going to be gone on maternity leave. So there's no way you could win. You just can't. And then once you're older, then people don't want to hire you because you're old. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. 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 Um, cool. There's concerns about women being assertive enough or maybe they lack leadership skills. But if you're too assertive, yeah, then, you're... then it's a problem. And one of the uh, people they talked to kind of like an anecdotal thing said, women have never had these opportunities to be leaders. Therefore, they don't have the qualities. Therefore, I can't hire them. Okay, but maybe if you gave them an opportunity. Right, they would have the qualities. Right, it's yeah. a, this closed loop that you can't get into. Uh, there's bias about emotional control. And we hear this also about female political candidates. Yes. And then um, this other thing, which I think managers say when they don't want to say their real reason. Oh, fit for the role or fit for the team. Which I think a lot of times that is... Um, related to people being afraid that a woman would be too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, now we can't joke around anymore. Yeah. Now we can't have fun at work anymore. Um, now we all have to be professionals. Know, <laughs> we can't make all of these inappropriate comments anymore. Well, I think I that whole think... fit for the role, fit for the team is a very old trick. And I mean, that's what has kept people of color out of workforces that's what kept women out of workforces and it basically just means like we like the dynamic we have here not this is a functioning dynamic that makes the work better which is something that's reasonable but like we all get along right we're all buddies and i think some of this 
can sometimes be legitimate. Oh, yeah. Like if you have a culture in your office where you expect people to join the softball team or you expect people to, you know, go above and beyond outside work hours. And you have somebody who says, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to do eight to five and that's it. Sure. Yes. That is truly not a fit for that team. Although you can't not hire someone because you don't think they would want to join a softball team because that's a different kind of discrimination. But anyway. I don't know if there's laws passed against that one. Well, I mean, but but yeah. But if you have a particular work dynamic that makes the work better, especially if you're working in like a creative field or an office where most things are team driven, that is a legitimate consideration. But, and I'm sure we're going to mention this later, that's another reason why you want to have a diverse panel during an interview. It shouldn't be one person saying, oh, I think you'd be a good fit. Because then you get into this this mirroring where really what you're looking for is a person who reminds you of yourself. Right. And so that's a big problem with one-on-one interviews for for jobs and for promotion is people tend to look for what reminds them of themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a diverse audience all looking for different things, then you're not going to hire the best person. You're going to hire the person who's probably most like you. So as we get into talking about the actual process of getting a job, I want to remind everyone that legally this problem has already been solved. Are you going to do history here? I'm just going to tell you really fast. Okay. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, which we have talked about before, bans employment discrimination on religion, nationality, and race, and also gender. So legally speaking, gender of applicants should not matter whatsoever, and this should have been solved in 1964. But here we are. Yeah. It's not, I mean, that's not too long ago. 1964, you know. Yeah, but I mean. just like, you know, (laughs) when our parents were applying for jobs. My parents were being born. So I want to give you some information from the Society for Human Resource Management, also known as SHRM. I was wondering what this acronym was that was everywhere. I'm like, SHRM? What is this? So most of the HR professionals in a workplace will be SHRM members. So Can it's you a big tell me what it is again? I just forgot. Society of Human Resource Management. So it is a big industry group of human resources, and they do a lot of research. Okay. And so, so it's like a think tank kind of? No. Okay. It's a professional organization. Okay. Like everybody in our But they age, put out a publication or something? They put out lots of publications. They okay. have conferences. Okay. Cool. Like everyone in our age of our department is probably a member of this organization. Oh, okay. Okay. So there are differences, according to their research, in how men and women apply to jobs and in how companies attract and recruit men and women. And that's, I mean, that's what we're going to get into in detail today. But they took a bunch of LinkedIn data, which is an interesting source for data, but it's also they can track everything. They can track what gets looked at, what gets clicked on, how long somebody spends on something, and they can trace something all the way through the hiring process because everything is there. Right, you have all the medic. So using billions of interactions between companies and candidates, um, they have figured out what some of these differences are. So women feel like they need to meet 100% of job criteria in order to apply for a position. Men usually apply after meeting about 60% of that criteria. Women are less likely to ask for referrals. So even though employee referrals are the top source, according to SHRM, of high-quality hires, 
women are far less likely than men to ask for a referral to a job they're interested in, even when they have a connection at the company. That's interesting. Is it because they don't want to be a bother? I don't know. But even if, let's say you want to work at, I don't know, Acme Brick, (laughs) and you know someone who works there, as a woman, you're less likely to ask for a referral, which is basically a networking tactic that people use to get their foot in the door. Women are much less likely to use that tactic. Uh, Men's profiles on LinkedIn get opened more often. Yeah, that's just all I have to say about that. And so Sherm said that one thing that you can do is eliminate identifying information off job applications and resumes when people are screening candidates. Oh, so not you, the person applying. I'm like, how would that no, work? When you're screening the candidates to okay. have all that information removed so you don't know the so it's like name a blind of the gender. Yes. Resume. Yeah. According to their study, women are 16% more likely than men to get hired when they apply for a job and 18% more likely than men to get hired for more senior roles when they apply for them. So women are more likely to be hired when they're interviewed. When they apply. Yes. When they apply. Yes. So if women only apply for jobs where they feel extremely, extraordinarily qualified, right, it makes sense that they have a higher success rate. I'm only applying for jobs that I am 100% qualified for. Dudes are out there applying for jobs that are 60% qualified for. It would make sense that I'm more likely to get jobs that I interview for. But it could also mean that I'm not pursuing opportunities where it's not a guarantee, So they call these stretch or reach opportunities. And when women do go for stretch and reach opportunities, they're also more likely to get hired than men. Really? But they are way less likely to apply. Okay. So it's a smaller pool. Yes. Okay. 71% of talent professionals report that what they want at their institution is gender parity and that they having gender parity is a company priority but there's not a lot of evidence that they do what needs to be done to reach gender parity does that make sense so they say that's a value and personally they probably do value gender parity but there's not a lot of institutional evidence that companies are doing what it would take to reach gender parity obviously because Discrimination was outlawed in the 60s. And we're still seeing it. And we're still where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So women are less like 15% less likely to apply for a job after reading about it on LinkedIn. And women apply to 20% fewer jobs than men. Women tend just to screen themselves out of the conversation and they just end up applying for fewer jobs. And of course, the more jobs you apply for, the more likely you are to get an interview, the more likely you are to eventually get a job. That's really interesting that they apply for fewer jobs than men. That's really interesting to me. Yes. Um, and another th- thing that they fig- – another part of their study was that women are much more likely to apply for a job when they know how much it will pay. Yes. And that's not because women are obsessed with money, but when they know how much – Some of us are. But when they know – how much something will pay, it is an indicator of a few things. One, it gives us a good indicator of what level of position it is. Right. If it's a little bit higher or a little bit lower than the position I'm currently in, 
But we're also, of course, a lot of times women are thinking about budgeting and taking care of their family and what is what I need to make it work. Mm -hmm. The other thing that it signals to us if the amount that a job pays is in the job ad is that the company is less likely to have pay disparity based on gender. So if in a job posting it says this position pays fifty to $60,000, instead of just saying everywhere it's commensurate with your expectations, in, with your experience, if mm-hmm. it says 50 to 60, that is the range that whoever gets hired in this job is going to make regardless of their gender. Exactly. Right. So it's also important for women to have benefits about flexible working policies, parental leave, health care, all of those things that let a I'm person know say that those are universal, regardless of gender, no. should be important and just stay to front. Yes, but I'm more a woman yes. is more likely yes. to apply if that information is put up front. Well, how many times have we even gotten to the point where we're negotiating with a candidate that we've already selected? Mm-hmm. And then when we offer them the salary, they're like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> and then we have to start all over. Yeah, yeah. It just makes sense, no matter who the candidate is. Mm-hmm. Let's just all be up front about it. Yeah, yeah. So there are, as you said earlier, some male-dominated career fields. And before you look, Mm -hmm. what do you think they would be? Male-dominated career fields. Okay, so um, I'm going to say first responders. So firefighter, Mm -hmm. police, military, Um, uh, construction, anything to do with cars, pilots. That's fascinating. Why? Because am I nailing it or am I getting it completely wrong? So, no, you're you're neither. <laughs> so C minus car sales. Oh, I meant like fixing cars, like mechanics. Oh, uh, well, car sales is probably the most male dominated job field. Ninety five percent of the National Automobile Association. So that's car salesmen, car salespeople. (laughs) Oh, that gendered language. 95% of the members of this organization are men. So if there's 20,000 car sales I can't do math like that, Allegra. 19,000 of them are car salesmen. So... What's interesting about that is 52% of new cars are purchased by women. Okay. 85% of car purchases are woman-influenced. Right. That makes sense. So even though 85% of the purchases of new cars are the decision originated with or is influenced by a woman, 95% the car sales people are men. I don't think I've ever bought a car from a woman. I have never in my life bought a car from a woman. And I never really thought that much about it until right now. Yeah. And so in all the other sales industries, which used to be pretty male dominated, um, women are a lot more active. So real estate, insurance, mortgage, financial services, all of those kinds of fields, women, those fields are way more integrated. Car sales, for some reason, and I'm not going to speculate on the reason, not integrated very much in terms of gender. But also, yes, building construction, mechanics, sports. Those are all fields. Oh, sports. I didn't think about sports. Those are all fields that are male-dominated. 
And that doesn't mean, of course, we know that doesn't mean women don't have an interest or the requisite experience. That just means that they haven't been given those opportunities or seen those jobs as opportunities for themselves. In fact, in some of these industries, it's hard. There are so few women working in the industry. It's hard for researchers to even get information on how much women in those roles are paid. Wow. And so that includes occupations like carpentry, construction, uh, car mechanics, and trucking. Less than 5% of truck drivers are female. I had an aunt that was a truck driver briefly. That's pretty cool. So they can't estimate women's median earnings in those jobs. Because there's so few. Because there are so few women in those jobs. Yes. So the data points wouldn't yes. really make sense. And the article that I read said it's socialized ideas about men's work and women's work. And so women don't get exposed to those careers and those career paths and therefore are less likely to choose those jobs or get hired into those fields. And unfortunately, what gets more women into the field is having more women in the right, field. Exactly. So I don't know. So it's part partly socialization. And that's comes from when you're a very little kid all the way up through grade school, middle school, and high school, when people start asking you what you want to be when you grow up or start giving you toys or objects that reinforce certain gender stereotypes. All of those things are part of socialization. And the other thing is, if you're afraid of how a person would respond when you say, I want to work in a certain career. You just don't say it. That would dissuade you. Yeah. Have I told you what my daughter wants to be when she grows up? What? A breakfast waitress. That's a great job. She's only going to serve you breakfast. That's, I mean, that's cool. She can get a job like in a diner. Yeah. Well, Which we have so many of down in Texas. What she wants to do for a living is work at Waffle House. I think she just wants to eat pancakes. Oh, and this well, is her avenue to do that. What's wrong with that? My niece wants to be a doctor. and My daughter's going to be a breakfast waitress. We need breakfast waitresses. Otherwise, we don't get breakfast. At 11.59, you are on your own. She is out of there. It's great. You have the whole <laughs> afternoon free for yourself. So female-dominated fields, child care, home health, social work, teacher. Big surprise for everyone involved, I'm sure. <laughs> so let's talk about the hiring process, right, from start to finish. So step one. Step one is a job ad is posted and reviewed by potential candidates. Right. So there should be nothing problematic there. <laughs> right. It's just a job ad. So it should be a neutral object. Description of what's going to be the job. Right. Hopefully a salary range. Hopefully the possible benefits. So we both read a, a study, a research study. Did we read the same one? I think so. Okay. Gaucher Freeze. No, UC Santa Barbara. So I read a study called Evidence That Gendered Wording in Job Advertisements Exists and sustains gender inequality. And that is a bold title. Gendered wording in job advertisements exists, and gendered wording in job advertisements sustains gender inequality. So again, that's pretty bold. And really, the researchers start out by saying women comprise only 2.4% of Fortune 500 CEOs, 20% of full professors in the natural sciences, and 11% of engineers. So one of their research questions is, why do women continue to be underrepresented in certain career fields? Why do women continue to be underrepresented? They've got a lot of information in their study. The first answer they have is that stereotypes 
justify gender talked about. inequality, right? Mm-hmm. The warm, incompetent stereotype of housewife, housewife justifies keeping women in a domestic role. Warm but incompetent? As a stereotype, yes. I didn't realize incompetent was a stereotype of housewife. Yeah, like, oh, just, you know, you can cook and you can clean and you just, like, airhead bobble around your house. That's a stereotype of women. I guess I didn't put the word incompetent in there. Yeah. So <laughs> not ju- sexist enough. <laughs> it justifies keeping women in a domestic role, excluding them from the workplace. Similarly, the competent but cold stereotype of a working woman has been used as justification for keeping women out of management positions. So you have two dueling stereotypes of women, like you're either a ditz housewife, so just stay at home, or you're a cold, domineering working woman, and we don't want you in our workplace because you're not a good fit for the team. Yeah. So in their research, they are trying to look for an institution-level factor that reinforces underrepresentation in traditionally male-dominated occupations. So they're looking for something that's not person by person, but an institution-level factor. And what they looked at was gendered wording in job recruitment materials, specifically whether masculine-themed words like competitive, dominate, and leader emerge within job advertisements in those male-dominated fields and whether the presence of those words dissuades women from applying to the job because they are cues to you that you don't belong there. Maybe subconscious cues, but yeah. Yeah. So first I have to prove that there's gender difference in linguistic styles. Yes. So that they're proving first that there are feminine words and masculine words. They found lots of research to support that women have a communal style of speech and they make more references to social and emotional words. Mm-hmm. And that language use can also differ based on the gender of who you're writing about. So an analysis of recommendation letters for university faculty jobs within the natural sciences found that writers use words like outstanding and unique when describing men, but not women. So it's not just words that you use, but also words that you use when you're referring to a specific gender. So in those recommendation letters, right, they use outstanding to describe men, and they use these communal emotional words to describe women. And letters with those communal emotional words were for candidates less likely to get hired, which is demonstrating that there's this gender-based difference in language and that that gender-based difference in language perpetuates inequality. It's not innocuous to use emotional words to describe women and to use outstanding, unique, powerful words to describe men, it leads to and exacerbates inequality in the workplace. And this other study found that that same thing, right? But the further you go up in the company, the more stark those differences become. Yeah. So if we're talking entry level, you may have five masculine words and three feminine words. You're talking executive, it's 15 masculine, three feminine. Yeah. So very, very different. Yeah. And because we can't win. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also evidence to suggest that belongingness, so feeling like you would fit in a particular domain, affects your motivation 
and how much you engage within that domain. So if you feel like you don't belong or you wouldn't belong, you're not even going to read the rest of the job information. You're definitely not going to apply. You're not going to pursue opportunities. You may even avoid fields altogether if they are always described in these words and in these ways that make you feel like you would not belong there. Well, why would I want to go somewhere where I'm not welcome? Exactly. And so in studying this idea of belongingness, they found that heightening a sense of belongingness can lead to more success. So if you feel like you fit in a particular environment, you are more likely to engage in that environment and to thrive in that environment. So all of that, and of course, it's not just belongingness, right? There's lots of other factors that influence whether you're going to approach a field, apply for a job. Obviously, you have to decide that you have the skills, geography, all of those kinds of things lead to your decision of whether or not you're going to apply. But those things being equal, the importance of belongingness for domain engagement and psychological well-being can be the determining factor. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's the difference between a sign on the door saying welcome and a sign saying keep out. Right. So a job is not appealing if it doesn't seem like a place where you would belong. Exactly. And a field, a whole field is not appealing if the whole field seems like a place where you don't belong. Right. So as a measure of gendered wording, they made these lists of masculine and feminine words and they used words. So they made they made two sets of lists. The first were words that were agentic, which means sense of agency. Right. And communal. So agentic words are individualistic and competitive, for example. And communal words are committed and supportive. Okay. They also have lists of masculine and feminine words. Right. So masculine words are ambitious, assertive. Feminine words are compassionate and understanding. And they have these two different sets of words because they're going to compare a few different factors. But... And there's a whole, I mean, in this research study, which we'll link in the show notes, you can see their whole list right. of agentic and communal and of masculine and feminine. But it's consistent with previous research, linguistic research and gender. Their research confirmed their prediction. Job advertisements within male-dominated areas contained greater masculine wording than advertisements from female-dominated areas. So that's easy, right? That makes sense. Okay, so you got more masculine words and job descriptions for male-dominated fields. Beyond affecting your perception of gender diversity, increases in masculine wording were sufficient to decrease women's job appeal ratings and their anticipated belongingness in specific occupations. So if there are more masculine words, a woman is less interested in a job and less likely to apply for it. Subconsciously reading these words, you identify them as masculine, and then you say, this is not a place for me. For me. Yeah, that makes sense. Men displayed only a slight preference for masculinely worded advertisements, and gendered wording did not affect their anticipated feelings of belongingness. So, oh, because they just assume they already belong. <laughs> that's what it seems like. So, yeah, that supports the argument that masculine wording negatively impacts women, but has no negative or positive impact on men. So... Essentially, you could take out the masculine wording and it would hurt no one. So the study I read, they didn't do that. They didn't take it out. They replaced it. So uh, workforce 
because that does have a masculine tone to it. They replaced it with employees. Uh, collaborating replaced working. Mm-hmm. And they went through and just did this like either neutral or as close to neutral as they could get replacement of words. Mm-hmm. And they said sometimes we had to kind of like pick up a thesaurus and like right. figure it out. But they said when they did that, it increased the number of applications by 42%. Yeah. So just that small little change increases the number of people you get to pick from to hire for your company. And this research is saying that masculine wording basically just keeps women out of job fields. Because whether or not you realize it, you are seeing the keep outside on the door. Mm -hmm. So women anticipated less belongingness in jobs that were masculinely worded and therefore they felt less interested in those jobs and it also provides evidence that masculine wording is unappealing to women because it conveys that they don't belong um the researchers have said you know just this gender replacing of words and this welcoming thing it's not a magic bullet right it's not going to solve all of the problems no because there are social and systemic issues as well yeah and so one thing they said is it's very unlikely that gendered wording is being deliberately infused in advertisements. Yes. Nobody is doing it on purpose, but they're also not doing anything on purpose to, to fix it, to avoid it. And so just to reinforce this idea, the data suggests that replacing masculine words with feminine words would increase women's interest in the jobs. But the consequence of adding feminine wording to job advertisements is not necessarily the solution because feminizing job descriptions may implicitly introduce requirements for warmth or communion and therefore would make women who are more agentic, right? So those women who are less communal Mm -hmm. and more determined was one of their words um they're they're gonna feel like they don't belong because they're not nice enough for the job so you may make some women feel like they are more likely to belong but you're gonna make another set of women feel like they're less likely to belong so the answer is not feminizing yeah i think the the job requirements because not all women find traditionally feminine words appealing exactly not all women applicants are looking for those feeling-based communal-based language in a job application so again the an- the answer is not to feminize it the the answer is to use those agentic words but not those masculine words right Yeah. So eliminating the use of incidental masculine wording in job advertisements will increase the number of women in the occupation and change the female stereotype to include that idea of agency and power and to give to change the stereotype about women in the workforce, leading to greater number of women seeking training in the occupations. Right. So it will change not only who applies and how many people are in their job, but it will also help to change stereotypes of women in the workforce. So if you're a hiring manager. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you're not inadvertently signaling something through your application. Yeah. What do you do? So there's actually like an app. Yeah. And I found a website. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, it might be the same one, but it's like a gender decoder app. And what basically what this person has done is they've taken all of these words from all of these various research studies, and they you t- you put in the job description wording, and it will tell you which words are flagged as masculine or feminine, so that you can change them to more neutral words. Yeah, and um, I found it's at totaljobs.com gender bias decoder. And I ran our TCC professor ad through it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it actually was pretty good. Okay, good. So we're about equal. We had three male gendered words and five female gendered words. Um, I will say, though, that some of the female words, they're like real, real female. I, okay. So first of all, I refuse to accept that the word committee is a female word. Well, okay. So... Um, they're talking about that communal thing again. That's why that word got flagged. Works well in committees. Works well in communities. Yeah, but I think in the context of an academic job, that word is not gendered. Yeah, and I have an issue with um, the word for a male individual being in there. Because, again, it depends on how you, how you used it. Because in our ad, it says this individual will. Yeah, so that's... It's not individualistic. Yeah. It's just you. Yeah. You will. Yeah. So there were some issues there. But um, the female word that got tagged that really was like, oh, kind of like a red flag for me, sensitivity. So that's a red flag for you because you think everyone should be sensitive? It's a red flag for me because I think there's a more gender neutral way to say that. Yeah, I think so. I think, well, I just think there's a less loaded way to say it. I think the word sensitive is very loaded. That's, yes. Both because of gender bias, but also just all of these... PC, non-PC, all of those kinds of people have very strong feelings when it comes to words like sensitive. Yes. Which may or may not be silly, but um, people are very sensitive about the word sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I can yeah, say so it. Yeah, so that's the one that stood out for me. I was like, maybe we should change that word. I think so. But it's interesting that there are... Because we have the power to do that, Allegra. There are, we can do that. There are two job... Uh, there are two websites... Where you can put in a job description and see if it has gendered language. So, I mean, because I found a different one than you did. So there's probably more. But, but I mean, these are at least two. But that's pretty amazing. Well, and it's... Cause so one of the things that the researchers I were reading found um, was that there's a possible gender issue in a lot of these. Because, like, the ad was written in 1995. Mm-hmm. And because of bureaucracy, I mean, we know this, it is almost impossible to change an ad because... Yeah. If we hired Susie for this job right, 10 years ago. Right. If somebody's already in this position. We of can't change. Whatever it is, right? Junior partner or associate professor. Then if we change the job description, then we're changing everyone's job and on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. So there's some bureaucratic reasons there. And then the other thing they said was that people are just not thinking of this as an issue. Like hiring committees mm-hmm. and these tools that have been used mm-hmm. have focused on the actual like once they're in the interview. Mm-hmm. But nobody has gone... Before the interview, and so to okay, the job ad, yeah, yeah. Where are we starting from? And what's and what what's also interesting is the researchers are not just saying change the language and you'll get a diverse, more diverse pool. They're saying change the language, and you can start to fundamentally change the culture at your institution, and you can change what the stereotypes are of women in the workforce. And even if you don't care about that, just getting forty two percent more people to apply for a job yeah is amazing yeah because 
we've had failed searches here. Mm -hmm. We've both been on committees where we did not find anyone Mm -hmm. that met the qualifications. Yeah. And if we had another 40% of people to look through, maybe we would have. Absolutely. And I mean, I I mean, maybe that's something we should have disclosed at the very beginning, but both. Oh, we're hiring managers. Both you and I do a lot of interviews and hiring both for people who will work for us, but also as invited members on interview committees for jobs that are equal to ours or even jobs that are in some ways outrank us. Mm-hmm. And because they want a faculty person perspective on, perspective on the committee. Okay, so on our next episode, we're going to finish talking about this hiring process and get through interviews, advice, some pretty great advice. Um, Some not so great. (laughs) And uh, so we're going to complete the hiring process on our next episode. But I do want to say we like to end our episodes with a positive note. Whenever possible. I don't think that we have that uh, positive of an... Give me something positive, Misty. More women are completing college degrees. Mm -hmm. That's positive. We already knew that from a previous episode. It's still positive. It's true. Well, to be honest with you, we've got lots of multiple research studies about institutional factors in gender bias and stereotypes and bias in general when it comes to hiring. And we have at least two gender gendered language decoders available online. So there is obviously a growing awareness that this is happening and that this needs to be addressed. And it's worthy of being studied. Yeah. I mean, I think that's positive too, right? Just that academics are caring enough to look into this means that eventually that will filter to institutions. Eventually. Yes. We've been working on it since 1964. So yeah, I mean, I I think that this is another one of those very slow progress. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the people who are listening to our podcast don't have experiences like the ones we've been talking about or they're prepared for what they might encounter yes yes. i mean that's the other thing right if you know what's going to happen prepare in advance and if you're a person like you or me who gets to be a member of hiring committees these are things to To think about yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely all right well misty what's next in your lady life well next week we are back in session for fall semester we are so i'm getting all my classes together and getting ready i'm excited I already have my glasses together. Of course you do. Allegra, what's next in your lady life? <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and finish uh, reading the book that I'm reading right now before semester starts. What book? It's called Nine Perfect Strangers. It's the same person who wrote Big Little Lies. Okay. So it's a it's a summer read type of book. It's pretty good, though. You don't have much time left in summer. You better hurry. <laughs> That's what I'm trying. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and my first job ever was at Claire's. Wow, I did not picture you as a Claire's person. And I'm Allegra, and my first job ever was at Subway. What's the first job you got fired from? Subway. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Which is extremely great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Professors, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, professors at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend or coworker. 
And remember, apply for the job.